Aaron, could you turn the heat up real quick? <laughs> what? Yeah, leave them open if you would. I just wanted to close them while the kids were all coming to the bathroom and stuff, so I thought that'd be better, a little bit quieter, but we'll leave them open. We have put in a, a call a month ago to get the compressor switched out, but they can't find one. So wonderful repercussions from last year's shutdown. So anyway, um, just blowing it. Just do that to each other, to your neighbor, and we'll cool off here. I'll go quickly. All right. Acts chapter 2, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Acts chapter 2. And before we jump into this, let's pray for Hunter really quick. He's uh, in, got out of surgery. He's in NICU. I think we're doing okay-ish for a little kid with heart surgery. So, um, But we need to pray for him anyway, so we'll do that together as a group. Lord, we thank you for... Um, so far, a successful surgery. I don't know if things have changed since we last heard, um, but we leave them in your hands to be healed and to be touched and to continue on um, with his walk with you, however. And so, Lord, we lift him up to you and to the family and pray that you minister to each one of their hearts and uh, pray that you would bless them with comfort and come alongside them during this tough time and help us to minister to them any way we can. Um, and Lord, show us that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Acts chapter 2, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the most, I believe, important part of a minister's life. Um, we know that salvation is someone trusting in the Lord and being born again, trusting in God and allowing Jesus to pay the price for their sins and to accept that, to make him Lord of their lives. Um, and that's salvation, and that's wonderful. But for ministry, for us to go on and to walk that walk in his power and his strength, to be able to say no to sin and to say yes to walking in the Spirit, we need that baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need that. For us to minister to anybody, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, we need that. And Jesus was very well aware of that the first Century Church was very well aware of that. It seems it's gotten lost over time. And so as we go through this chapter two, it's a good reminder for us that without the Holy Spirit, um, we are powerless. And so um, Jesus told us last week, told the disciples last week to wait in Jerusalem for the indwelling of the power of the Holy Spirit to come from on high. Wait for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit before you go out and minister. Wait for me in Jerusalem. Wait for the Helper. And so they did, and that's where we left off. They're in the upper room. There's 120 of them. They're praying. They're fasting. They're leaving and going and coming, um, but they are waiting. They're not doing anything for ministry until that moment has come. Now, they don't know what that's going to look like. He wasn't very specific as to what that would look like or feel like, but they're assured that they'll know. Um, many times, you know, you get asked, you know, what, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it look like? And well, it's different. It's different for everybody, um, but you'll notice a dramatic change in power in your life. Um, there may be an emotional attachment or a, 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 an emotional moment attached to that time. It may be you just look back and say, my life's been different ever since then. I've been walking in power. The, I have no more of those cravings anymore, no more of those desires anymore. 
Not that he eliminates all desire for sin out of our lives with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but he does give us power to say no, but also to minister in his strength. And so this is what it looks like for them in chapter 2, the first pouring out. We really don't see two of the three things. There's three things that take place here in this upper room. Two of the three things don't ever happen again, but one of them does periodically throughout the New Testament. We'll hit on that. And so to pigeonhole it or to say this is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit looks like, this is when it happens, that's really thin ice to say that's how it is. Um, Because as we go through this book of Acts, which is the acts of the Holy Spirit in the church or in the believers, sometimes we get confused. The, The book of Acts, the acts of the church, it's not. There's a lot of things the church does that the Holy Spirit says had nothing to do with me. Um. But this documentation from Luke is, this is what the Holy Spirit did in the church in the beginning and up until, until, as far as I know, okay? So he wrote to Theophilus, we read that last week, his friend, continuing on from his gospel, the gospel of Luke, here's the things that I saw, that I witnessed, that I experienced, because I want you to have a full understanding of how this all started. And that's what we get with the book of Acts. So verse 1 Chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they, this is the church, all 120 of them, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all in agreement. They were in one place. So they had been coming and going periodically, but now they're here in this one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter later on will liken this to the prophecy of Joel. We'll hit that in verse 17, a fulfillment of that prophecy. But this is what happened. The tongues happens again and again throughout the book of Acts and continues on to this day. The tongues of fire has never happened since. There have been um, people that say that it has happened. That's fine. Maybe it has in their life or in their experience. Maybe they did see a a tongue of fire rest upon them when it happened. Whatever. That's great. It's it's backed with Scripture. Don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem with anything that is done in the name of the Holy Spirit that isn't backed with Scripture. I don't have to believe that. Um, Because some of them get kind of squirrely, you know. but that being said, um, not saying it didn't happen, not saying I don't, I just, I don't, I don't have to make it doctrine. I don't have to teach it. So just so we're clear on where we stand on this. Uh, tongues, the other languages, there's a purpose for this. Um, you'll see that here when they come out of the upper room. Tongues is, uh, or other languages, is something the Holy Spirit gives to a person. It's an unknown language that you don't know. It is known to the world sometimes. Sometimes it can be of angels. Sometimes the the Word of God describes it as a groaning. You don't know how to pray. You don't know what to pray. And therefore, you just, it's a a groaning. It's just, I don't know how to pray. But I just have this sense that, you know, and if you've never experienced it, it's hard to explain. Um, You're not in a trance. You're not under the influence of another spirit necessarily. Um, You just know you need to pray. You don't know how to pray. And so, therefore, all that comes out of your mouth is just a, a groaning, okay, and I've had that, I've experienced that 
And, uh, and often, it happens often to me. Um, and so I pray. There's some days you just get that sense there's something off. I'm trying to, make, I'm trying to explain this the best I can because many people ask. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't need to explain it to you. Some people in the room are like, I've never had that happen to me. So I'm trying to explain some moments where it may have happened to you. That's all I'm saying. Um, where you just get that overwhelming sense something's wrong. Um, and you just, there's just something not right about the day, not right about that person, not right about whatever. And you begin to get that stirring inside of you. That's the best way I can describe it. This sense that something's off. And so you begin to, you just cry out to God. It could be just, oh Lord, help. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know. And you begin to just pray. I believe that's the work of the Holy Spirit telling you, giving you information, telling you that there's something off, that the Holy Spirit in you wants to pray and you don't need to know all the details. All, all you know is he's stirred. And so you respond in like kind. That's an example. There are times where you may speak in tongues under the power of the Holy Spirit, whether that's in prayer or whatever. It's clear and needs to be clear what that means. That is another language, and it gives glory to God. Um, tongues is never used as prophecy. Sometimes people get that confused. This is going to be a lot of information for those of you um, that have never experienced this before, but I'm going to give you a, hopefully a well-balanced diet of God's word that explains it um, because that's important to rest everything that the Holy Spirit does in a person's life upon God's word. So important. That's If we don't do that, we can get really weird, and it has gotten really weird. In the name of the Holy Spirit, many things are done that aren't of the Holy Spirit, and it gets weird. Do you remember there was a woman that would follow, as a slave girl, that would follow Paul around and say, these men proclaim and would scream wherever she went, the glories of the Lord, and I don't remember all the things she would say, and she would scream this over and over again, and finally Paul turned to her and rebuked the demon out of her. Now, what she was saying was accurate, but it was not helpful. It was actually harmful. It was annoying. It was scary. It was weird. It caused Paul to turn around and cast a demon out of her, and all of a sudden she could no longer do the things she used to be able to do under the power of this spirit, a demonic spirit, and it cost her owners, her, the slave owners, a lot of money because she wasn't able to produce for them because she was this great demonic girl, but they called it the Lord, you know. And so many things are still to that day, to this day, done in the name of the Holy Spirit that aren't of God. Um, we know that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Um, we know that the Antichrist isn't the opposite of Christ, but he looks an awful lot like Christ to the point where people believe him as being the Christ. That's where he's going to come. That's how he's going to be able to be so powerful as people will accept him. We see in the book of Revelation, um, a, a anti-Holy Spirit, a part of this. There's like an unholy trinity. You've got the Antichrist, you've got the Anti-Spirit, and then you've got the Anti-Father, okay? You've got the dragon, you've got the beast, and then you've got the one that gives power to the beast. You've got this unholy trinity that, that do these things. And so he will deceive many with false signs and wonders. And so the, we have to be careful about that. Um, not so careful, though, <laughs> That we run to the other side of the road, you know, and steer clear of all things spiritual or supernatural because we're afraid it might be a demon. We, we can get to that place. To find that balance and walk right down the middle of the road is, is, 
is found in Scripture. You stay with Scripture. The Holy Spirit moves within Scripture. He does not contradict himself. Um, He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He will never contradict his own word. He'll never go against it. So when I see something done in the name of the Holy Spirit that contradicts God's word, I absolutely can throw it out. Because I can know for certain, whether I know the Spirit or not, it's not of God because it contradicts God's word. Okay? So as I say all these things, this happened. This still happens. This is absolutely vital for the church to have. And we are powerless without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So not to scare everybody to this side of the road where I'm just going to steer clear of it then because I'm not sure I'd have the right discernment or know what's of God and what's not of God. So I'm not going to do anything in God's spirit. Then you're powerless. It doesn't have to be like that. And then on the other hand, you don't want to say, well, I want everything that God's word. I'm just going to get rid of God's word. and I'm just going to do whatever the Holy Spirit wants me to do. Uh, You're super dangerous too. We had to stay in the middle, right in the middle of the road. Stay grounded. Um, way more than I wanted to say for this first four verses, but it's a, it's a very important section. It's, it's as important as John 3.16, as far as the church goes. We have to understand this Acts chapter 2, have to, um, and then open ourselves up to the moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we're a powerful church. That's one of the most disappointing things I've ever read. We love the Church of Philadelphia in the book of Revelation. If, I'm, if you don't know what that is, I'm sorry, you'll have to look it up. But it's one of two churches that are actually doing the right thing in the last days. One of them is a martyred church, and they suffer persecution, and they are right on with Jesus. The other church is the Church of Philadelphia, right on with the Lord. And what it says about them in the last days, they have a little bit of strength, a little bit of power. And I don't know if that's because God just doesn't want to use them very much. <laughs> it's highly unlikely. Or whether it's because we're just barely holding on to the power of the Holy Spirit in the last days. That we've moved so far to that side of the road because we're so scared of what God wants to do with us in a supernatural way that we're so over here that he can just barely do. Jesus, when he was in his own country, could, could hardly do any miracles there because of their unbelief. It is, a, it is a common problem with people of unbelief to be used or have supernatural awesome things that God wants to do happen in their lives or the lives around them or to the people around them that they're trying to minister to. Jesus had problems with it. We will have problems with it. But I certainly don't want it to be my fault that these things don't take place. And I certainly know that you don't want it to be your fault that these things don't play, take place. The body of Christ has got many, many gifts and talents that God has diversely given to everybody. Not one person in the church has everything on purpose. And so the church is a healthy, strong body, right? You've seen people with overdeveloped muscles in one way or another. I've I've watched these arm wrestling guys. Have you ever seen these arm wrestling guys and their right arm that they arm wrestle with is like three times the size of their left arm because that's all they work out? It's the weirdest thing. Sorry if you're an arm wrestler. But it's overdeveloped. It's bizarre. It doesn't look right. It makes people go, do a double take. The church can be like that when we function in only one gift and don't function in the other gifts. People do a double take. I thought you said he had power. Well, he does, but he doesn't heal anymore. 
I thought you said God's word could change me. It does, but it's through programs and it's through, we look funny. We don't look right. We don't look like Christ. The body of Christ should look like Jesus. So here we have the beginning of God doing that. Christ is the head of the church. The body is us. The Holy Spirit now, consider that maybe the nerves, the nerves, nervous system is now going to every appendage and wants to function, move, and look coordinated by the power of Christ through the body, through the head, through the body. Here we have it connecting right here in this Acts chapter 2. A rushing mighty wind must have scared everybody. It says it was so loud in verse 5 that there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. That's how loud it was. It wasn't like I just had the rushing sound in my ear. No, everybody in the city heard it and everybody went to where they heard it come from. This room was ground zero for the Holy Spirit being poured out. So much so that it was so evident that everybody came to that place of what is happening. Now, they've had some earthquakes. They've had some dead people rise up. You know, they've had some interesting things take place since Jesus rose from the dead. So a rushing mighty wind would have caused them to say, what is happening over here? Now, they're at the day of Pentecost, so devout men from all over were required to come to the temple from all over the world, Ethiopia, Egypt, wherever the believers were, to come back to Jerusalem, present themselves, to present their sacrifices, to show up. This is one of those times. So they're there, and they hear this rushing mighty wind, and when the sound occurred, the multitude came together. They were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. There's the purpose. The 120 get the gift of speaking in tongues, proclaiming the glories of God, not prophesying to people. They're proclaiming the glories to God. God, you're good. God, whatever they were saying. And when they came out of the upper room, all these people from all over the world heard in Ethiopian language and the Egyptian language and all the, all their native languages, they were all required to know Hebrew, but that's not what was being done. It was done in their native language, hearing the glories of God being proclaimed. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthian, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own language the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they are full of new wine. Even with this beautiful event, you still have the 50-50 response. You'll see that throughout Scripture. You see that at the cross, you've got... One thief accepting Christ as his Lord and Savior and asking him to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. The other guy still mocked all the way to death, 50-50. We see the same thing here, a wonderful work of God being poured out. It's easier for some to just say they're just a bunch of drunks. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty lazy way of explaining away how all these 120 are speaking the glories of God in their language. Strange. But some people just, that's what they want to do. They love to explain away 
miracles. They don't understand them. They're scared of them. We still do it today. And it makes us powerless. It makes us unbelievers. And he can do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. But to be very careful that we don't fall into that. Oh, I would never mock Jesus and say they're just a bunch of drunks. No, but we can explain it away so far as to not let God do that in our lives and touch the people around us. The body of Christ needs every gift of the Holy Spirit in operation. If you have, and God has given you the gift of healing, which is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and you don't believe in the gift of healing, and that gift of healing is then not in operation in that fellowship, we lack the gift of healing. That's a very helpful gift. Very useful. There are many gifts. Gifts of helps, gift of administration. Those are some of the ones that we, well, I don't mind those. The gift of helps means I can just hit a nail straight when I pound it, you know? Or the gift of administration, well, I can do books. And we can explain that away and move it maybe into the category of talents. No, there are some people that just have an ability, a wonderful ability given to them by God that isn't natural. It isn't developed. It isn't something that they've worked on, like playing the guitar. And now instead of two chords, I can play 10. And I don't know how many there are. Maybe that's too many chords. I don't know. Never have understood music theory. Just, just appreciated it when it comes into my ear, but I don't understand it. No, there are gifts, gifts that only you can do. And And if you don't understand that's a gift of God in your life, that's very possible that you look at other people and you wonder why they can't do what you do. How come you can't understand that? Why won't people do this? Why can't they just, ah, it's so frustrating when they don't, they might not be able to because you're the one gifted with that gift, see? And so then they begin to appreciate that, you know? So they hear this happening, and there's a purpose for it. He's got the attention of the world standing outside the door of the upper room, and the ministry is beginning right here. They all understand that something supernatural is taking place. The gift of tongues happens several times. In Mark chapter 16, verse 17, it's a promise given by Jesus. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. Jesus said, this is going to happen. And it will continue to happen. Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. We'll read this later on, but God's timing of the Holy Spirit being poured out on someone's life isn't necessarily at water baptism. Some people believe that. Some people teach that. You get water baptized, you get filled with the Spirit. It's not a separate work. It doesn't happen. Well, it did with the apostles. They were all baptized right away. And now they're being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then here in this section that I'm about to read, these guys get baptized with the Holy Spirit before they get water baptized. So you can't pigeonhole it. You can't say, dut, da, dut, da, dut. We love to do that. Nope, not with God. In fact, God gets kind of tired of Peter kind of running on. I'd make fun of Peter. He's going to have his day with me when I get up there probably. But he's trying to explain to these guys what it means and believing and all that. It says, while Peter was still speaking those words or these words, so he gets interrupted by God. God's like, yeah, 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 you know. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the words, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, 
Can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit as we have? See? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they asked him to stay a few days. Can't put them in a box. I don't care when it happens, before, during, or after, that's between you and the Lord. If it hasn't happened, ask. Just ask. It's a very simple thing. The Holy Spirit is not to be not to be scared of him. He's the same as Jesus. Jesus told us that. I'm going to send you the helper, and when the helper comes, he's going to lead and guide you into all truth. This is him that we're talking about here. He's only going to speak of the things that the Father spoke to me. It's all going to be us. He's not going to tell you to do something weird. He's not going to make you roll the ground on the ground and dark bark like a dog, a promise. He won't do that to you. In fact, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control, so be careful. If you're out of control, then chances are that's not him. But it's as simple as asking. Just like you received Christ to be your Lord and Savior by faith, you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit the same way, by faith, he says. It's the same thing. God, baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I want everything. It's a very fair prayer. It's not that you have to accept Calvary Chapel doctrine or Laura Street Baptist doctrine or the bridge doctrine. It's not, that's not what's being asked here. It's a simple prayer that's, if you believe in Jesus, you believe in God, and we do, we wouldn't be here if we didn't, to say to him directly, would you give me everything you have for me? I don't want to lack anything. If I'm missing something that you have for me, if there's something amazing for me and I don't understand it and I don't get it, I want it. Because you're the giver of good gifts. I have nothing to fear from you. You saved my life. You've only looked out for my best interests. A prayer like that is easily prayed with full confidence and full assurance that God is only going to give you, right? We can all agree to that. And so I'm not asking you to believe in tongues or I'm not asking you, I don't even want you to think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit or what, you should get. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that, you know, you can ask for anything, but let him be the gift giver. We have a habit in our house of making a list of birthday gifts. Here's what I want. And they kind of expect that, you know, we, well, no, we're not getting 20 gifts. You got to whittle that down a few. And we get them what they want kind of thing. And so they open them and they already know what it is. It's like, oh, that's my Lego set. Or, oh, that's this. And I'm looking at him going, well, why did we even wrap it? Is this shock and awe? There's no shock and awe here. Just here. In fact, come to Walmart with me. Just grab it. I mean, let's just make it super boring. Or occasionally the kids will say, I don't know. Why don't you give me what you, th- what you think would be best? I'm like, oh, now you're going to get something awesome. Because I can go hog wild if I want to, or I can get you a pencil. It depends on what I feel like doing. <laughs> of course, I don't ever do that. I always bless them. So if I go to my father in heaven, who kind of owns the universe, and I'm his kid, and I come to him and say, God, if I'm lacking anything for ministry or any kind of service for you or whatever it is that you want to do with my life, would you give me whatever you want to give me? That's a very safe prayer. And I'd love to see what he'd do with that in each of our lives. And I would pray that over and over and over again. Not because he needs to hear it and be repeated and because he wants a whiny little kid asking and asking and asking, but because you earnestly desire the best 
from him and all. And the last thing I want to do is accept Christ as my Lord and Savior and treat it like a philosophy in my life or like a pattern or something that I really need to stick to, like a diet, you know? I want it to be a relationship with who I think he is, the way he describes himself to me. Amazing, real, wants to do supernatural stuff on earth, not for the sake of supernatural stuff, but the supernatural stuff always points to the fact that his word is true. And that if you are amazed at that, tongues, healings, signs, wonders, miracles, whatever it is that happened over here in the power of the Holy Spirit, then what I said about my son Jesus Christ is absolutely true. And that he truly did die for the sins of the world. And that if they believe on him, they can spend forever in heaven and have a place prepared for them. And they don't have to go to hell anymore. That's the point of all the gifts of the spirit to point to that truth for people to receive his word. I want that. I want a healthy, strong body in my life and in the life of the church. In 1 Corinthians 14, um, it says this, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you might prophesy. And what that means is to proclaim the truth of God's word. It doesn't necessarily mean tomorrow at five o'clock, it's going to rain. That's not necessarily the prophecy kind of thing he's talking about. It's proclaiming the truth. I wish that God would give you the power, like he's going to give Peter here in a minute, the power to preach my word so powerfully that people receive it and are just, oh, wow, that made so much sense. It's amazing. I just, I wish that you'd prophesy, he says. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Always. Tongues is not meant for us to interpret for ourselves. It's meant for me to proclaim in an unknown language the glories of God. And if anybody has an interpretation or understands it, it's a blessing to them too. Okay, that's the idea. But it's never meant as a prophecy. It should never be confused as that. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, builds himself up. But he who prophesies edifies the whole church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with the tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So you always want that interpretation to follow. Otherwise, it was a resounding gong. It was just a noise. Oh, that was really cool. I can't agree with it. I can't say amen because I don't know what you said. But if there's an interpretation... We can agree and we can all be blessed. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11, describing the gifts of the Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different are differences of ministries, but the same Lord, and there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. He's doing it all, but he's doing different things in everybody's life, basically. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So earnestly desiring the best gifts is a safe prayer. I don't know what he wants to give me. I know what I'd like. 
I mean, who wouldn't want to see someone's limb grow back, you know? That'd be a cool gift to have. Or healings, you know, right now that'd be really handy with Hunter. Wouldn't that be great to walk up to his little room and say, be healed, and have him get up and say, my heart's perfectly good. It's like it's never been a problem. That'd be a great gift. Tell me you wouldn't just spend all day long at the children's hospital, right? Just put your hand on the tile of the floor and say, get them all, God. Heal them all. Let's get out of here. Everybody, let's make this place bankrupt, you know? Or the Shriner Hospital or all that, you know. But he doesn't. He gives each person a gift as he sees fit for a purpose. Because it isn't about getting everybody up and out the door. It's about getting everybody up out the door and into heaven. Because if I get them up and out the door, they can still go to hell. If they don't receive the truth of Jesus Christ, we've healed them for another death. There's no point. And we have to understand that. When we understand that about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's mission is to proclaim Christ and to lift him up. He'll do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, by gifts, signs, wonder, all these things, but only to lift up the Son. He knows the importance of it, the value of it. So that's where they are. They hear all these things. Some are mocking. Some are actually wondering what in the world is going on here. I want to know. So Peter begins to speak under the power of the Holy Spirit. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It's the fulfillment of this prophecy, and he quotes it. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit, pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. It shall come to pass that whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. That's what we just said. He was attested to you as being the Son of God by the signs and wonders. The signs and wonders that he did were to prove that he is who he says he is and that his words are true. It was the words that were more important. I'm only doing the signs and wonders, feeding 5,000, healing people so that you'll hear me. The world is in a desperate place. They're headed to hell. I'm here to save you. I'm going to die on the cross for your sins. You need to believe in me and come into my kingdom. Trust in me. Let me be Lord of your life so that you don't have to go to hell. Rise up and take up your bed and walk. Uh, blind and, and see again. Uh, the deaf are hearing. The people are fed. Uh, walking on water. That's all great. But none of that changed the destiny of anybody on earth. It was the cross. That save people. So all the things that we think are crazy, I can't imagine what it must have been like to see that happen. We're holding in our hands the miracle. We're holding in our hands 
the book of life. We're holding in our hands the way, the truth, and life, and that no man comes to the Father but by him. We're holding that in our hands. Buddha never did any of these things. Muhammad never did any things. Neither of those guys or any of the others were testified by God as being of any value. But Jesus was. And so of all the men and philosophers and people to believe in, it's Christ we believe in. It's Christ we trust in. It's Jesus that we take his words to heart. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he could be held by it. Jesus was perfect and not deserving of death, therefore death could not remain or hold on him. And that's why he rose from the dead. He's the perfect sacrifice, undeserving but willingly offered himself. This is all God's plan, Peter says. It was all by God's purpose and determine. He decided that. we could. But I remember when The Passion came out, the movie The Passion by Mel Gibson? I, I remember the news. The Roman Catholic Church was furious and said it was the Jews that killed Jesus. They were furious that Pontius Pilate and the Romans were put in such light. And then the Jews were saying, can you see Pontius Pilate? you see the Romans over there? And they were furious at the Catholic Church for what they had done to Christ. And I'm putting my hands in the air saying, did you guys not want him to die on the cross? Why are you blaming? I'm so thankful he died on the cross. I, I wish we weren't creeps, that we needed that. I wish that I wasn't a wicked sinner that caused that. But I'm so thankful that God determined, his father determined, and gave him the cup of the wrath for him to drink, and he willingly drank it. Pontius was a stooge. The Jewish people were stooges in the plan. They're still held accountable, of course. Just like Jesus said about Judas, yeah, I must be betrayed, but woe to the man of whom by I get betrayed, you know. Of course, there's accountability for it, but we needed that. Peter's trying to explain that to them. You crucified him, but it was all part of God's plan. He raised him up because death couldn't hold him. And then he brings another scripture to light that prophesies, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades. You will not allow my Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. David said that, but he was prophesying when he said it about the Messiah was what Peter's saying. He pulls it all together for them. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us today. In other words, he wasn't talking about himself there. He was prophesying about Christ. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has, had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, or of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, that nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you see and hear. Just explaining to them what happened. This is Peter's first sermon. Does such a great job. 
He does such a great job under the power of the Holy Spirit. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And that's how he ends his sermon. Just so you know. There's no altar call necessarily. There's no, now if you today feel that stirring of your, you know, like we do today, that's how he ends it. Simply testifying. And now the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, is at work. Some are mocking and saying they're drunk and walking away, but others are perplexed by this and are wondering what is going on here. And that curiosity and that draw has caused them to listen to what Peter's saying by the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's working in their life, and there's a connection made. I see young men get up and try to, and they do their best, and they do what God's called them to do to um, um, evangelize. And, and I'm in that crowd too, and I know everyone in this room has felt it before when you're there to support them. And you're in your heart, you're saying, please let somebody get saved tonight. Please, somebody, I hope somebody raises their hand. I hope somebody gets saved. Because it's so awkward to say, is there anybody that wants to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior? And then all the believers are down there praying, going, oh God, move, you know, do something. Okay, there isn't anybody. And you almost feel like, oh man, you know, a little disappointed. He's done, as an evangelist, everything he can possibly do. There was no better way to say it. There is no catchier way to do it. I don't know if you've ever listened to Greg Laurie or Billy Graham. I mean, they're, they're, they're interesting to listen to, but they're interesting to listen to because they're under the power of the Holy Spirit, not because they're saying anything different. I mean, literally, Greg Laurie says the exact same thing that somebody else says at an FCA meeting or or a crew meeting on campus, they're saying the exact same words, and yet thousands of people go down at these rallies, and nobody comes at these other things. I had, I've spoken at FCA, or not FCA, crew, several times. Out of the seven to eight times I spoke, one night, one night, I don't know why that night was any different. I didn't say anything different. I didn't do anything different. That one night, At 11 o'clock at night, we baptize 11 people in Colden Pond. That's my claim to fame. I talk about it all the time. We went down to Colden Pond in February, and we got into the freezing cold water. I was numb from the waist down and baptized these crazy college kids who accepted Christ as the Lord and Savior that night. Never happened since. I don't know why. I don't know that we can pigeonhole what I do differently. What were the words I spoke? I just think God wanted to move. They were ready. I did. I was faithful to do what God called me to do that night. And there, there we were, you know, and it was a great night. But there were other nights when they were looking and going. And I'm going, so today, if anybody wants to receive Christ as their Lord, and I just know that nobody's going to want to. And they're all just kind of. And then I say, okay, well, let's pray. Amen. And I get up and I can kind of just slink out of the room. Nobody even cares that I'm there anymore. You just kind of walk out of the room and they're all talking and doing their thing. I'm like, okay. I don't know why that night was different from that night. I don't know how it works. I just know it's a a work of the Holy Spirit. And it should lift some pressure off you and us. You know?
He needs to take the pressure off. I'm here to faithfully do what God's called me to do. And I'll do it. And if, if God is working and working on the other side, this is what's going to happen. Here's what happens. He closes with this. You crucified him, just so you know. He was the Christ. He's dead now, rose from the dead. Not a very encouraging sermon. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. There it is. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That knowledge, that proclamation you just made about us killing the Christ, uh, not what we wanted to do. What do we do now about it? I'm glad you asked. They were cut to the heart. And Peter said to them, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Did you hear that? It's for you then. Peter was talking about us in verse 39. It is for you right now that I'm talking to. It's for all those who are far off 2,000 plus years later in Maryville, Missouri. That promise of the Holy Spirit is for all of us. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Those who were who gladly received his word, were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 people got saved at Peter's sermon there. Wasn't that good? You know? Could have done better than that. No, you can't. They were cut to the heart. The Lord was at work. They were under the power of the Holy Spirit. It was time, 3,000 people who gladly received the word of God. So there is a responsibility upon the person hearing to gladly receive it. And 3,000 people get saved. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Acts 2.42, our Wi-Fi passcode. Because that's what we want to do here. Those four things. We're going to continue in the apostles' doctrine. We want to fellowship. We do that a lot. In the breaking of bread and in prayers. This Sunday is our prayer time. We have corporate prayer on Sunday nights at 7 o'clock. I encourage you to come out. It takes, it's another night, it's another drive, it's another, I know. But if you can, come out. Otherwise, pray together. Like if you're from small towns and you're like, it's, it's, it's better to do it in our own small town, then get together and pray in your small towns in Bedford or wherever you're from, you know, Fairfax or Hopkins even, you know, or whatever. Um, and pray, or even here in town, get together and pray together. Do those things. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That's a healthy, strong body right there. Just adding daily. As they live their lives, as they walk in the spirit, they get changed. I went to Dana College. This is where we close. Dana College. It's a Lutheran college. I didn't know any better. I just... Picked it. Got out of the Marine Corps. I had a GI Bill. I said, I need to go get my psychology, Christian psychologist degree. That's what I went there for. They had that degree, degree program. I knew I wanted to do that, so I joined. I went. Difficult college. Not the main thrust of this point, or the point of this story. In the Bible study that we had there, um, I joined. 
And I was talking about, uh, the leader was actually talking about, the leader of the Bible study uh, was talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I was, I was all about it. I was so excited as a new believer. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, there were some kids there that didn't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They were Mennonite kids. They came from Grace, Grace Evangelical, or not Grace Evangelical down in St. Joe, Grace uh, uh, up in Omaha. If you don't know, that college is a Mennonite college. And I was going to go there too, but not big on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And here's why. As I was excited and I was going back and forth with the leader about it, and we were just oh, so excited about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they were over there going, well, we've got to straighten these guys out. And here's the verse they gave us. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 9 through 10. He goes, now you guys listen to this, these Mennonite kids. You guys listen to this, and you tell me what God's talking about here. He's going to help us out. And so I'm going to do the same thing for you tonight. In case you're wondering about these gifts of the Holy Spirit and everything, I'm going to read this verse to you, and I want you to all tell me out loud what you think this verse is talking about. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 9 through 10. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. What is this perfect thing that needs to come before that which is done in part is done away with? Of course it's Jesus. Of course. Do you know what they say it is? The Bible. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just interpreted Scripture in your heart and said, it's Jesus, isn't it? And they're all going, it's Jesus. Now, if you thought the Bible, and you're like, oh, I was going to say the Bible. I'm so glad I didn't say that out loud. You know? <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> some of some some oh, man, that was a close, that was a close. The fact that you mostly, most of you said Jesus, of course, of course we would need the power of the Holy Spirit and everything he has for us until we don't need him anymore because we're in his presence. But we're not there yet. He hasn't come yet. We need everything the Holy Spirit. Isn't it just like Satan to come along and say, it's the Bible. Now you have the Bible. You don't need the power of the Holy Spirit. You have scripture. You just go off of that. You don't need all those gifts and signs and wonders. You've got the Bible now. Rendering the church powerless. Of course it's Jesus. So we're going to pray tonight. Close in prayer. And I'm going to ask God for everything he has for me. And that I could be baptized with the Holy Spirit because I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit several times in my life. I, don't, I wouldn't be able to tell you how many times. It isn't when I think he would do it. It isn't when I'm ready for it sometimes. It isn't when I ask, honestly. Sometimes I'm like, God, I desperately need a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. Hello? I'm at the gas pump. You know, fill me up. Nope. It'll hit me. Sometimes you've seen it hit me up here. And I wish he wouldn't do that. <laughs> It's like, okay, I mean, in the car on the way here would have been a great time for that, Lord, you know, but no, it's got to be here sometimes, and it happens. And you be, Sometimes you get emotional, sometimes you get clarity. I don't know how else to describe it. Well, we're going to pray that tonight, because I want you to have that, and God wants you to have that, and his word wants you, and tells you, you need that. And it's a safe thing to trust in, and it's not weird, and it's not wacky, and it's not what necessarily you see everywhere else. It's, it's so normal, it's so great, it's so beautiful. The fruit of the Spirit, 
Galatians 5.22, read it. I don't know anybody that doesn't want some of those things, if not all of them, you know. The gifts of the Spirit, what's wrong with healing? What's wrong with miracles and helps and ministration and prophesying? And what's wrong with that? It's great stuff. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, whom you've given the helper. You've sent him to us. You've poured him out on us. And you desire for us to walk in his power and his strength. You want to fill us with the Holy Spirit. You want to fill us with his power that we might be used. But we don't want to leave this room. We don't want to do any ministry without your Holy Spirit. We want all the gifts that you have for us. They're gifts. Who doesn't want a gift? Anything you, Father, that would want to wrap up and give to us freely as you see fit, and we will open it, and we will use it, and we will bring you glory with it. So whatever you want, this body, this part of the body of Christ, Calvary Chapel, Maryville, even tonight, sitting here, we're ready for everything you have for us, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you that you want to even do that for us. Lord, I pray for those online that are watching or might watch this later on. They want to pray too, right in their homes or right where they're listening. Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to be baptized with your Spirit. I want everything you have for me. By faith, I believe. And I trust you to give me the best gifts. I earnestly desire the best gifts, whatever those might be, from the ministry you've called me to, so that I can bring you glory in your strength and not in my strength, in your power, not in my power. So just use us, and we're yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the night and a great week.